Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Please be seated. All right. Good morning, guys. Again, um, good to see you. In Luke, we kind of enjoyed the diversity of Luke. We looked at parables. We looked at stories. We looked at some of the um, Christmas story. We looked at, obviously, the Easter story and all that type of stuff. And so... A lot of time in, um, in the book of Luke, a lot of time looking at, um, looking at the narrative of Jesus and his story and his teachings. Um, and so uh, this summer, we're going to turn the page back to the Old Testament. Um, in particular, we're going to look at the time period of the exile, um, and we're going to look at some, some really obscure books of the prophets. Um, so that's going to be really fun. Uh, it's going to be stuff we don't typically hear taught or maybe have read through it and have kind of been like, ugh, what do I do with that? You know, it just seems like God's really mad. How do I, how do I read that? How do I apply that? How do I understand that? Um, and so we want to look at exile, and in particular, we're going to look at a couple books, but we're also going to be looking in general at the idea of exile in the scriptures. Uh, we're going to see what the exile of Israel to Babylon says about our exile um, from paradise to um, being far from God, um, and look at the promise of the return home, um, which is something that Scripture speaks to in, in many different ways and in many different cases. Um, and as we do that, it's going to be kind of a, a good opportunity to, to learn some important stuff about some genres of Scripture that we might not normally spend as much time in, like I said, in the prophets. Um, and, and before moving into that series, I wanted to just ask everyone else um, what, what should we talk about for a couple weeks? Because I still had some time I needed to get ready for the, the series about the exile. And so I, I put that out there and, and some, got some feedback from people and some different ideas about what we should, should teach on. Um, and that's why we came up with this kind of two-week series where we are um, talking about God's Word. Um, we're talking about God's voice. We're talking about um, what it means to and what it looks like to do God's will. Um, and just kind of trying to come to a place where we understand what the scriptures lead us to um, in those particular topics. About 80% of what I got back on recommendations kind of had, had to do with um, how do I understand God's word better or how do I hear God's voice or what is God's voice or, or what is it like to, to seek God's will? How can I find God's will? Kind of circled around those ideas and so that's why we're going to spend these two weeks um, looking at that. Um, specifically today, we're going to look at knowing what God has said and is saying to us. Um, and then next week, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how, how it is that we can know God's will um, and do God's will. And so John 16, which we just read, was a spot where Jesus is talking to his disciples in the upper room uh, just before he goes out to the garden, is betrayed by Judas, and then is turned over into the trial and then dies the next day on the cross, um, and, and in that kind of discourse, Jesus says the words that were just read about, about what is coming when um, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of truth comes. Um, and so we're going to kind of finish with that passage, so I'm going to read that again a little bit later, um, but before we get to that passage, we've got to do some other work and kind of get into a classroom setting here for a minute, just as we, as we try to look at the Bible and look at how, how do we handle the Bible? Like, how do we approach the Word of God? Because that says a whole lot about what we're then going to take away with um, to, or take away from the Bible when we read parts uh, of the Bible. And so we're going to dig in and, and jump into some different, um, some different realities about the, God, uh, the Word of God and what it says about God and what it says to us about ourselves um, and how it is that we are given opportunity and kind of the responsibility as followers of Jesus to continually grow um, in learning and knowing God's, God's word. 
Um, and that as we do that, it opens up for us and unfolds for us God's great wisdom, which is what we deeply need when it comes to saying, what does God have to say about things? Uh, because he has spoken in his word, and so we can trust that and, and take him at his word and learn to apply that um, all over our lives. So before we do that, let's pray. Um, as Kelly's reading just a minute ago, led us to... Uh, just kind of the feeling of our deep dependence on the Holy Spirit. I just want to lean into him today because we can't understand God's word without God himself helping us. So let's ask him for help. God, thanks for this day um, and this opportunity to pause and look at just uh, obviously something that's on a lot of people's hearts, something that's important to us um, as followers of Jesus, and that is to, to just really understand how it is that you, that you speak to us and how, how it is that, that you um, have, have given us your truth and how by your spirit you lead us into understanding your truth. Um, and God, I pray that as, as we journey along in our, in our Christian life, we would be the kind of people that are humble in our approach. God, that we wouldn't be uh, the kind of people who would say, I know everything and nobody can teach me anything, um, but rather we would be the kind of people who say, I have so much to learn, and obviously God knows all, and he is the one that is my instructor. Um, and so, Lord, by your spirit, would you help us to see your word, that you would help us to humble our hearts and, and, and open ourselves to receive from you, um, that you would help us to learn how to understand and discern what you've said and what you're saying. Uh, that you would help us to, to understand how to be patient uh, with ourselves and others as we grow in our knowledge of your word and as we grow in seeing you more clearly, uh, in worshiping you more fully and in devoting ourselves to you, um, that, we would, that we would learn to lean into the great work of Jesus as we seek to be people um, who, who know your word and, and rightly handle your word and, and apply your word uh, to our hearts. God, we we believe deeply and fully um, that you are right now by your spirit leading us into your truth, um, that you are capable because of how powerful you are, uh, that you are capable to take us in all of our flaws, in all of our shortcomings, in all of our lack of wisdom um, and ability, and you are, you are able to lead us into a whole new life of having hearts that are open to receive from you and, and minds that are ready to be changed by you. Um, and, and lives that are that are ripe for for being steered and guided by you, um, we need the Holy Spirit for this. We need you, God, to do uh, what we as humans just can't do alone. Um, so we ask in this moment that you would come and help us, and that in all of our moments that you would come and help us, just as Jesus promised um, that the Spirit would come and lead us into truth. So God, we thank you. We do deeply appreciate what you've given to us in your word and in your spirit, that you have not left us as orphans, you have not left us as sheep without a shepherd, that you have not left us as people without a leader, um, God, that you have by yourself, through your word, you have come to us uh, to give us great help and great guidance. Um, so open us to that this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen, amen. Um, so I, I immediately after saying, hey guys, what topics do you want to hear about? I, I, I backed myself, or I realized how much I had backed myself into a corner um, in the fact that the way that we approach topics is, is really important when it comes to scripture. Um, and we'll see this a little bit more in a minute here. And, and it's primarily because of what scripture says about itself and how it leads us to approach it. Um, because really, the more and more that you discover what God has totally done in giving us all of the scriptures, you kind of realize more and more so that he hasn't just given us a topic guide um, in, in, a, in, a, in a book format, um, that, but that in more so he's given us this insanely broad, um, intricate, uh, very diverse, and, and somewhat complicated story about all of human history and how he has gradually and in different times and in different places and in different ways revealed himself to mankind so that we might actually understand who he is, uh, what it is that he's done, and what's kind of the point of all of the stuff that he's made uh, and, and all of the people that he's created. And so the scripture itself leads us more and more to understanding that this is just a, a really beautiful and united story with Jesus at the middle uh, about what God has done and what God is planning to do. 
right? And so when we realize that's kind of what the scriptures are, it, it changes the way we say, well, how do I come and understand a topic, right? Um, like you might have a concordance in the back of your Bible and you might think, okay, well, for instance, I want to know how do I hear God's voice and I might look up the word voice in the concordance and I might find like Isaiah 30, which is a spot where in a prophecy about a new Israel, God says you're going to hear a voice behind you telling you to turn to the left or turn to the right. Okay, you might come upon that passage. And you also might come upon John 10 where Jesus says, I am the shepherd, my sheep know my voice. Okay, so you might think, okay, how do I hear God's voice? You might go to the concordance, find those two spots about voice, and then go, okay, cool. God's going to whisper to me, and Jesus is going to talk to me. That's how I can know God's voice. Well, without appropriate understanding of those passages, I'm going to come to an incorrect conclusion that God's just going to be behind me whispering all the time, and then I'm always going to know Jesus' voice, right? Well, in John 10, after Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, I have sheep, and they're going to know my voice, right at the end of him telling the disciples that, John gives a little note, and he says, the disciples didn't understand this figure of speech. <laughs> so right there, John says Jesus is using a figure of speech when he says, my sheep will know my voice. So we have to kind of broaden our perspective of the passage and understand Jesus isn't saying he's going to be right behind us talking to us. Jesus is saying that the people who follow after him are going to be led to understand who he is compared to who the enemy is. They're going to be able to know the truth of God as opposed to the lies of Satan. Right? And then also in Isaiah 30, we realize the prophecy isn't a, a, a little personal promise about God whispering behind my head all the time. It's actually God talking about what a new Israel is going to be like after the Messiah comes and rescues us and the Spirit is sent to give people new hearts. He's talking about what God's people are going to be like compared to what they were like. Because what they were like is they received a law that was written on tablets that was commanded to them. And they continually rebelled against that law. And Isaiah said, one day I'm going to change the hearts of my people and I'm going I'm to make them the kind of people that hear me from within. I'm going to give them my spirit on the inside of them, not as something outside to be pushed down upon them, but something inside of them. I'm going to actually bear witness to my truth by my spirit inside of them. Right? And so we have to evaluate these things according to how it is that the scriptures give them to us, not just according to kind of our preconceived ideas of how we walk into them. And I know that can be complicated because the Bible is really diverse, and that's one thing I want to jump into, is looking at how it is that we read the Bible. Um, because you may have heard this question, or maybe you've been asked this question, where somebody has said to you, or you've heard somebody say, do you take the Bible literally? As a Christian, do you take the Bible literally? Have you, how many of you have ever heard that question? Somebody's asked you that, right? Okay, good. I'm hoping it wasn't just one person lifting their hand there. Um, and so that's, a, that's actually an interesting question to answer because sometimes, absolutely, yeah, I take the Bible absolutely 100% literally. But oftentimes, I have to take the Bible much more so in, a, in kind of a, in the literary form that it comes to me and, and learn how to read according to that literary form. So I have to be able to understand things like poetry and prophecy and apocalyptic literature, which they're not really literal. In fact, by their very definition, they're figurative, right? Just like Jesus saying, my sheep will know my voice, it's a literary form. He was using an illustration to talk about something that was going on. And so we have to kind of evaluate and look at and learn to read scripture the way that it speaks itself. And so sometimes the Bible is very literal and it's going to talk literally and I'm going to take it literally. Okay? And then sometimes the Bible talks very poetically and very figuratively and so therefore I'm going to take scripture there in those moments figuratively and literally and learn to apply it. So to do this quickly, I want to look at two forms of the scriptures, two genres in the total of scriptures because the scriptures really isn't isn't just one book, right? The scriptures are many books that make one book. And those many books speak with many voices at many periods of history uh, in many different ways. 
And so as we learn to read all those scripture in all their different genre, it will help, help us to learn how to decipher things. Now, I'm going to steal an illustration from Bruce here as we talk about prophecy. Bruce, one time, uh, helped me with this tremendous illustration. He said when he picks up the Tampa Bay Times and he reads the headlines, Ray's crushed in giant defeat. Okay? When he reads that headline, Ray's crushed in giant defeat, he knows what he just read, and he doesn't panic and wonder if war has broken out somewhere. Right? He understands that Mark Tompkin, writer for the Tampa Bay Times, covers the, the Tampa Bay Rays, is using a literary technique to grab his attention and to pull him into a story about a sports team, right? Because what that headline really means is that the Tampa Bay Rays, which is a baseball team, if you didn't know, they lost a game in a decisive manner to the negative when a team from San Francisco came in town to play them. That's what he meant when he said Ray's crushed in giant defeat. You see that there was, there was some literary forms being used in that story because the writer wanted to pull him in by being dramatic and using some metaphor or some nicknames to get across an idea with a strong and unavoidable manner, right? It came in a forceful way to tell an interesting story. So, too, when we pick up the Bible, we might read places that sound kind of like that headline. For example, here's Isaiah 10. This is verses 15 through 19. It says, shall the axe boast over him who hews it, hews with it, or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it, as if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood? Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the, like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land the Lord will destroy, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. Right? Do you ever come to places in the Bible like this and you're just like, what do I even do with that? What is this about? How does this apply? What am I seeing? Right? And it's so important to understand that, that God is, through the prophet Isaiah, using similar things like Mark Tompkin used in writing that headline that Bruce read to help us see a point through using these different poetic things. So when we look a little bit wider and we understand a little bit deeper the message of Isaiah, we learn that what's being spoken about here is, is an empire or a kingdom called Assyria. Okay? In the beginning of Isaiah's prophecies, He's talking about how the nation of Israel is just wicked, right? They were supposed to have God as their king. They were supposed to have God's laws as their constitution. They were supposed to have God's justice as their aim. They were supposed to have God's righteousness as their conduct, and they didn't do any of that. For centuries, they rejected God's truth. And so God was, God was sending prophets to warn them and say, hey, you need to repent and do the things that God has asked you to do as his covenant people, otherwise destruction's going to come. And eventually Isaiah begins to prophesy about Assyria that's going to come and, and basically bring destruction, and then also about Babylon that's going to come and bring destruction. And one thing he says about Assyria is right here in this passage, he says, hold on a minute though, even though, Isaiah, or even though Assyria is wicked... Even though Assyria is going to come with death and destruction, you need to understand that Assyria is not above God, that Assyria is not wielding God, but in fact, God is wielding Assyria. And he says, I'm going to use Assyria for my purposes, and then also, I'm going to bring my justice upon Assyria. And that's what some of what I just read in Isaiah is about. How can an axe say they're in charge of the one who holds it? <laughs> How can a saw 
say that they are the one wielding themselves. You speak to that reality. When we apply this carefully, we understand that it's prophecy and that it has a particular aim and a particular application to the time at which it was written, and we have to learn and discover that. And we can understand through looking at history that, in fact, exactly what Isaiah prophesied happened. Assyria did come. Okay? They, they did execute some of God's justice on, uh, on Israel, but then also they were defeated later. God's justice did come on them. They were defeated later by Babylon. They were brought down low to the point where their army was so few that a child could count them, right? A literary way of just saying they basically are gone, right? A kid can count, we know how much. And so this, this, is, this prophetic nature of this passage helps us to see what it really is saying. And then the question kind of comes to like, okay, well, then what do we do with that? Right? Again, where we started. Okay, well, that, that's great. It helps me to understand Assyria and all those kingdoms, but, but what does that have to do with me? Well, I think first it's helpful to understand that it happened the way Isaiah prophesied it. That's, that's pretty important. So what Isaiah said hundreds of years before it happened, it did happen. So we can trust the things that Isaiah prophesied because they did come to pass and the things that we know came to pass in Jesus, we can see that those were told clearly ahead of time. By Jesus, but then we or by Isaiah, but then we can also take parts of this humbly and consider how it applies to us. Like we can say, "Hey, can can I claim autonomy? Right? Can I by myself say that that I am my own master? No. I ought to, like Assyria should have. I ought to humble myself and recognize I do not run around in charge of my own life. That there is someone greater." who wields me, that even though I may not be as mighty as Assyria, still in my small estate, I am in the charge of one who is greater. So we can read bad news against a wicked empire as good news for us to humble ourselves and to say, God, I'm, I'm yours. My, my life is in your hands. We can actually apply it to ourselves. And we can go a little bit deeper and say, man, I better be careful not to ever take the position or the stance of, of the king of Assyria, who basically said, aha, I'm God. Whatever I want to have happen is what happens. He was not God. And whatever he wanted to happen did not happen because he did not end up ruling the world. He ended up, brought, he ended up being brought very, very low. Right? And we can also take great comfort in these words as well. When we consider that even someone like the evil king of Assyria was under God's watchful eye, we can consider the evils of our world and understand that while sometimes it seems like they're spinning out of control, just like Israel would have seen Assyria and the, the embattlement set against them as out of control, Looking back on the words of Isaiah, they can realize, oh, God's great purposes and plans were being achieved. Even though it seemed like it was out of his hands, in fact, it was right in the middle of his hands. All of human history, in fact, has been right in the middle of his hands. And so I can trust that no matter what's going on in my life or around my life or in the lives of the people that I love, I can trust that there is a greater power in charge of the world, that God, in fact, is over all of these things. And that in all of these things, he is working a greater purpose that I probably can't see right now, but that one day will be seen, and God will be glorified for that. God will be honored for that. His purposes will prevail. Eventually, in the end, I can know that justice will come and that God's kingdom will arrive. So I can get all of that from a really kind of confusing, poetic, intricate prophecy about Assyria in Isaiah chapter 10. But it's important that I read it right. It's important that I read it in that way. That I don't go, is this, a, is this a moment for me to look at this and go, what does this literally mean? Or is this a moment for me to go, okay, what are the figures of speech being used here? What is the greater uh, point that God is making through this story? So a lot of times we have to do that with Scripture, especially in poetic scripture, prophecy, and different things like that. 
and understand the, the, the point of it at that time and then learn to uh, decipher that according to uh, what God was saying to those people. Now, this stands in really strong contrast to something like narrative, right, which is what we saw a lot when we were walking through the book of Luke. Uh, because parts of the Bible read more clearly um, with a little bit less of this kind of uh, alliteration and illumination and um, metaphor and all these types of things. It can kind of be like reading an article about an event that's coming up, right? When you read an article about an event that's coming up, what are you looking for? You're looking for some specifics. You're looking for some time, some details. You're looking for some information that you can expect to happen. Uh, and it's just very plain, it's very normal, as, as opposed to kind of trying to write to shock you uh, and to surprise you. The writer of an informative article is just trying to be really, really clear and really, really succinct, right? They're like, I've got a short amount of time to give a lot of information. I want to just get it to them quickly. And so sometimes scripture is like this, like in Acts chapter 9, we see some information about Saul. This was after his conversion, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 19, it says, In taking some food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. Uh, they were watching at the gates day and night in order to kill him, but the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Right? So this story gives us some details about Saul's early ministry after he was converted. Um, this was after he met Jesus on the road. You know, he was, he was knocked off his horse and he was made blind for a few days after he encountered the resurrected Christ. And he was transformed from an enemy of God into a servant of God. And we see that this transformation was surprising to people, right? We were given that information that people saw that he went from being one kind of person to becoming another kind of person. And they all were like, whoa, wait a minute. Who's this guy and what just happened, right? There was a surprising nature to the transformation that happened in Saul's life. We also see that right from the beginning, Saul preached Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. From his first sermon onward, the center of Saul's message was Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God, right? And which this kind of helps us to understand why people wanted to kill him. This helps us to see why again and again and again he had to run for his life because people wanted to kill him. Ironically, just like he originally wanted to kill others. <laughs> it's very, just very informative about the character of Saul, who's later called Paul more than he's called Saul. Right? We put all this together from his life. Helps us to understand later on when we read his letters, some of the stuff he's talking about. Helps us to understand the, the, the kind of the position from which he teaches. He's a guy kind of on the run for his life. He's considered, uh, you know, on, on the hit list of the Jews. And he's traveling regularly at, at the risk of his very own life to do what? To bring the good news of Jesus to people who haven't heard it yet. Right? It tells us a lot about who he is. And it shows us what kind of resistance that he faced. And it also gives us an idea of where his authority came from. It gives us an idea of why he began to change his message. It's because he was confronted by Jesus. And so we might run, walk away from Acts chapter 9 and just think, okay, I've got maybe a little bit more info on Saul, right? Or we can, it can deepen the reading of his letters. It can deepen the appreciation for what he faced. It can give us comfort when we might try to tell somebody that Jesus is the Christ and get some resistance from that, get some flack, right? If we, if we share that good news information with someone in our family or someone that we work with. We know that Saul was a guy who did resist that in the beginning, was later transformed by Jesus and then faced that resistance all of his life. It can help us find comfort in that. Have you ever been rejected because you're a Christian? So was Saul, a guy who wrote, like 
two-thirds of the New Testament. (laughs) We're still talking about him today. He faced resistance. Take comfort in the fact that this world is in resistance to the message of Jesus and that that was the experience of the disciples and the experience of Paul, right? And so we have prophecy like we read in Isaiah. We have narrative like we just read in Acts. There's also wisdom literature like the Psalms or Job. Have you ever tried to read Job? Right? It can just be, seem really confusing and, and, and spinning and dizzying at times. Or Ecclesiastes even. We have other places that speak of history like First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings that tell us the de- like details of the story of the, the, the life of of uh, David and Saul um, and the the growing kingdom in Israel. We've got all these different things. We also have letters in the New Testament from Peter and Paul and then the really confusing apocalyptic literature like some of Daniel and some of Revelation. It's just like, what? What is that? (laughs) Where you grab onto one thing, like Jesus is coming back. That's all I got. That's all I got. You know, I, I know he's coming back. It's really hard to understand other than that. And then finally, and if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews 1 or in your app. It'll be on the screen here in a minute. We have all these places where God has spoken, and then clearly the writer of Hebrews gives us something just beautiful right at the beginning of their letter. We have Jesus. Listen to this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I mentioned how the Bible is many books, speaking at many times in many different ways, like the writer of Hebrews here says. But we also see that the unity of the Bible is based on its central message and its central character, and that is Jesus Christ. That Jesus, we see here, has become the final word. He's become the last word. Right in verse 1, we see that God spoke in many ways at many times, but then in verse 2, that he spoke by his son. So that if you want to truly, finally, and ultimately see what it is that God is saying, we look to Jesus. We look to what he did, what he said, and what he taught. And we see that all of the scriptures point to Jesus as a fulfillment of promises as the coming Messiah who was foretold in the Old Testament, as the great accumulation of the covenants that God had given Israel, um, as kind of the point of many of the stories, we see that so much of our understanding of the Bible has to be informed by truly understanding its central message. Jesus the Christ who was sent once and for all to communicate clearly and totally and ultimately who it is that God is, what it is that he has done, um, and who, is, who it is that we are in light of his great work. And so it's important to understand how all of these things come into unity so that we can approach the scriptures rightly. And as we do come to the scriptures, we are given the opportunity to, re- to learn and grow in our character and nature as we learn and grow about the nature of how it is that God has communicated to us. We grow in our depth of understanding of God as we grow in our depth of understanding of the scriptures. And this is not an overnight thing. Sometimes we need to take the pressure off ourselves and be liberated into the journey of discovery rather than feel like if I'm a Christian, I need to know it all, right? This is why we spend so much time focusing on the central message because I believe if you gain the central message and truly see Jesus, then from there, you'll be able to journey into further understanding and and gaining the, 
the, the knowledge of the rest of scriptures. If you miss the central message, how much more are you going to miss everything else? Right? So we seek again and again to, to, to really hone in on the central message and look to how so many of these things point us forward to Jesus from the Old Testament or in the New Testament, point us back to Jesus and what he did and forward to what he's coming back to do. We want to continually see this central message so that we can grow in our understanding of all of the scriptures. And in a way, you can kind of call this learning to discern God's voice, learning to discern what it is that he has said and what it is that he is saying. And it's a journey. It's a, a beautiful journey where we get to learn more and grow along the way. It's much like getting used to or, or getting to know an actual person. Right? Recently, I had a couple of um, more significant encounters with uh, a good friend of mine and his wife. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time with this friend, um, and I had only met his wife a few times, kind of brief greetings and said hi. Um, but in, in a couple of recent encounters, I've been able to sit down with the both of them, uh, get to know them both, um, get to know her a lot more, um, because I hadn't spent as much time with her as I had spent with him. And as I spent the time with her, I started to realize a lot more about her, a lot more about her character, a lot more about her nature, a lot more about the way that she spoke and the humor that she used and, and how funny she really was and how often she kind of made fun of her husband in like a loving and genuine way so as to kind of help him stay humble. Uh, it was just, it was a really encouraging interaction. I realized how much this guy had been formed in his marriage. Um, he's been married, I think, 18 or 19 years or something like that. And I realized, man, without her, he would be like, like he'd be a mess, man. Like he, she gives him so much wisdom and helps him to slow down a lot more and to think a lot more clearly and to not be so like emotional in his decision. Like I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. What I'm, what I'm seeing as I'm getting to know more about who she is and more about what she's really like. And this is similar to our journey in, in knowing more about God through his word and growing in our relationship to his word as we grow to then understand him more. And we do that through all these different genres. Like it says a lot about God that he chooses to communicate sometimes with satire and humor. It says a lot about God that he takes the time to communicate in a way that's poetic and that's beautiful, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see that God has entered our world in such a way as to speak in ways that we can actually receive because of our experiences uh, of the world around us. It's deepening in how we see him as we deepen in the way that we see scriptures, and that's why I think humility is so important as we keep approaching God. We, that like I prayed at the beginning, that we don't come with this attitude of like, I know, I know, I know everything. And we, 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 we run away from any opportunity to grow and to learn or be taught. It's really important that as we learn of God's word, we do it together. That we do it with others. Because often by ourselves, we can really miss things. But when we're joined with others, we are brought to see and, and, and kind of alerted so that we can have a t uh, uh, pay attention to things that we might miss on our own. And we have to keep in mind that God is eager for us to grow and eager for us to learn. And he's also patient and gracious and loving in this, right? God is not some disgruntled old teacher finishing his final weeks of a career with a bunch of bratty adolescents, right? God's not just like, oh, these dumb kids, I can't wait till summer and I can walk, you know, like he's tender. He's so gracious. Jesus describes God's work like, like a hand wanting to, to comfort its chicks. It's just this beautiful picture of God caring for us in the way that we learn and grow. And that's why I say we, sometimes we need to just take the pressure off ourselves and understand that we're not being judged based on our knowledge of God's word. We're being judged based on the performance of Jesus Christ. And that therefore, a brand new believer who's just barely read any scripture 
has the very same righteousness as a world-renowned biblical scholar who can speak Hebrew like I can speak English. Those two people have the same righteousness. The very same. Because it's based on Jesus. The scholar is righteous because of Christ's work. The brand new baby Christian is righteous because of Christ's work. We must take comfort in this beauty and be just so, so grateful for what God has done. And that changes the way that we approach others as we learn God's word. It changes the way that we respond when people approach us with correction or questions or pushback, right? Where we don't not know and defend ourselves because our righteousness depends on it. But we go, oh, okay. Are, are you sure? I, I didn't know, or I thought this, or, you know, and, and just the beautiful interaction. Why? Because our, our righteousness isn't based on how perfect we are at understanding the Bible and understanding God through it. And I think finally what's most significant is that God has said that he himself will come and teach us. This is what's glorious about the prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, like Jeremiah 33, Ezekiel 36, uh, even Moses in Deuteronomy. I can't remember where, but in Deuteronomy, he says the same thing. He says, you're going to get new hearts. You're going to get new spirit. You're going to have a different teacher, and it's actually going to be God himself. The sending of the Holy Spirit upon the departure of Jesus was the long-awaited fulfillment of these Old Testament promises. That God, instead of writing his word on some stone tablets to be delivered from the mountaintop, that he, in fact, said that he would write his word on soft hearts. That he is going to write his word on soft hearts. It's all a way of saying God will give us his very spirit inside of us to help us to hear his word. Right, and that's where John 16 that we read at the beginning, Jesus speaks of this reality to his disciples. I'll read them. These verses again, it's verse 12 through 16. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus said, but you cannot, you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus had taught the disciples a ton, a ton in three years of ministry. And yet he still says at this moment to them, I have many more things to say. For all that they had already learned, there was so much more for them to learn. And he told them how it was that he was going to teach them more. He said, here's how you're going to be taught more. The spirit of truth is going to come and teach you more. That's how. And Jesus, in fact, said, it's better for me to go because I can only be in one place teaching one thing. But when I go, the Spirit will come, and the Spirit can be in all places teaching all things. This is the beauty of God's Spirit being sent upon us to teach us the truth about God, that we can go to all different places at all different times and learn the truth that God is teaching and so we see in this passage that the Spirit would guide them into all truth, that he would speak on the authority of God, that he would glorify Jesus by taking what is his and making it known, and that, he, and that the fact is that whenever Jesus was made known, that means that God himself was being made known. This is an amazing promise. And you think of what the disciples were about to do. They were about to take the message of Jesus, which at that point had been for the most part confined to Galilee and Israel and spread it to the whole planet. That was the task that was ahead to the disciples. Not only that, but many of them were going to write down scripture. They were going to pen the words of God so that people like you and me could read it thousands of years later and still understand the truth about God. All right, this was a gigantic task and the disciples were given the promised Holy Spirit 
to help them with that very task. Early in the book of Acts, we hear Peter declare to a huge crowd of people that the Spirit wasn't just for the 12 disciples, but that the Spirit was for everybody who would hear the gospel. He said, the Spirit is also for you and your household so that you can know the truth about Jesus, so that you can hear the voice of God in the scriptures, so that you can be led into the truth of all things. And so that's why we say that the Spirit is in us because he's been sent to all of us. He's been sent to us from the throne of heaven itself so that we might continue to learn as God's people together and grow in understanding his word and applying its truth and with the help of the Spirit teaching other people about all of the things that God has taught. One of my favorite things about speaking week in and week out is just witnessing the work of the Spirit in my own heart and in my own life as I dig into the Bible and enjoy his guidance. And for clarity, this is how that happens. Many, many, many times it's happened, it happens through reading the things that others have written about the scriptures. To learn from others. So often that is the number one job anytime I come to a passage. Is to not go, ooh, what do I think this means? But to go, okay, what have we as Christians for centuries thought this means? Because the same spirit has been with us for all these years, leading all of us into God's truth. And so I don't want to discover some new truth that somebody started talking about in 2001. I want to listen to the same truth that began talking, that was begun talking about in 51. And I want to continue to learn and grow in that truth as that truth has been surviving and enduring and spreading through all peoples in all times, in all places. Because how much different is my world than first century Judaism? It's utterly different. Could not be more different. And yet still, God's same spirit is helping me know the same truth that Paul and Peter and the disciples learned and taught and spread at that moment in time. So a great part of our responsibility is just to say, what, what have we known the scriptures say? What have they been saying? What have people been reading? What have people been hearing for all these years? And then falling under that reality and saying, yeah, that's, that's the truth of Scripture. And then learning to apply it to our day and to our time. With the Spirit's help, we can take the Scriptures and actually apply it to today. Even though today is so much different than the day was back when the Scriptures were written. This is one of the great helps of the Holy Spirit is to awaken our hearts to real and true application today that we might humble ourselves, that we might be a people who repent of sin, that we might be a people who turn to Jesus, that we might be a people who learn to lay down idols and worship God, that we might be a people who stop trusting in our own knowledge, who stop trusting in our own power, who stop looking down on weakness, but start to glorify God in the fact that he is stronger and he is more knowledgeable and he is more powerful than all of us. This happens again and again as the Spirit opens our eyes and opens our ears to the truth of God and helps us to apply that truth in ways that is significant and that matters because he's leading us all into truth. And so as we wrap up, I just want to encourage us all to learn to love God's word together and to be patient as we do so. Right? Some of you need probably this message more than anything. Be patient with yourself. Settle down. Take it easy. Go after knowledge, yeah. But don't go after it with so much pressure. Right? Where is your righteousness? It's in Jesus. It's not in being a perfect understand, understander of the Bible. <laughs> right? So let's, like, let's seek it. Absolutely. Trust God that he is the one who has guaranteed our souls, not our understanding of Scripture. Taking this time to not only learn God's word, but to also help others learn God's word and to learn to love God's word. And ultimately to see, like Hebrews 1 said, Jesus was the word of God. John says this, in his opening paragraph, that the word of God became flesh. 
that he put on flesh and bone, he came and he dwelt among us. That Jesus is that perfect word of God. And he came in such a way as to make himself not only understandable, but also vulnerable. Right? And the word of God, Christ, came not simply to instruct us, but actually to serve us with his life. And what did we do when Jesus came and was made vulnerable? Well, we rejected him. Like hard hearts are prone to do, we rejected the word of God. And in that rejection was the key to our softening. Do you see this? With hard hearts, Jesus was rejected by man. And in Christ's rejection, the pathway to the softening of men's hearts was laid down. The only way we could have softened, heart, softened hearts was through the sacrifice of Jesus. By his death, he opened the new way for us to be made new people, for us to be made new creations, for us to have a new heart and a new spirit that would actually say, God, what is your word? I want to submit to it, right? This is a glorious reality of the sacrifice of Jesus that by his work, we have been made new people so that we can hear God, so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ, so that we can be transformed in our understanding of the entire world based on his word and his spirit's work in us. We have to humble ourselves. We have to recognize, God, I need help here. I'm prone to resist you, but God, would you transform me and help me to soften myself, to learn to be eager to hear from you and to do what you say when I do learn it, to actually follow after you, right? And that's what we'll take a look at more, more next week is pursuing the will of God, doing what God says. That's the kind of people that he is making, a people that are eager to do that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And while we definitely always fall short of covering just the, the grandness and the scope and, and the, the, the spectacular beauty of your word. God, I pray that today by your spirit there would be a, a growing uh, and a yearning and a, and a learning and a desire to, to seek your truth and to hear what you're saying and to apply the truth of your scriptures to our hearts in a humble way where we would be, we would be led to repentance and transformed to be those who to worship you that we would seek your kingdom and not our own, that we would be softened and learn to listen and be quick to seek your truth rather than stand on our own truth. God, thank you for the gift, not only of your scriptures, but the gift of a community of people. This community and the greater community of, of Christianity in the world over all these ages, God, that you have been faithful to keep Jesus at the center of this great story, that you have been faithful through many men and many women to help people learn about what it is that you've said and what it is that you're saying, how it is that you're leading and guiding us, even today in a day that is so strange and different from the day that you walked on the earth, and yet it's still a day that is so similar and the same in many ways. So God, make us wise according to your word. Make us wise to your ways and your truth. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, God, that you would be glorified and not us, that Jesus would be exalted and not men, that as Christ is made known, that many hearts would be humbled, softened, that you would write your word on our hearts that we might be eager to seek and obey. Lord, we love you. Lead us to love your word and help us to hear from you through it. By your Spirit's help, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.